This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. There's a lot of emotion. And guys, I want to tell you, emotion is great. I love emotion. I love the fact that, yes, we can cry before the Lord. We can enjoy the Lord. We can be touched deeply in the heart by the things of the Lord in our worship time, in our, in our private worship time, in our corporate worship time. We can be moved. But you know what? It's absolutely empty if it's just in here, if it's just a portion of your life, if it's not filtered throughout all of your life. What do you think repentance looks like? When you think of repentance, do you think of crying, sadness, and remorse? Is it purely emotional, or does there have to be more? The Bible tells us that if what we call repentance is just a show of emotion, it isn't repentance at all. God tells us through the prophet Joel that he wants our hearts torn, not just our clothes. God doesn't just want some outward performance. This is the same call he's giving Israel in our study in Malachi. A call to true repentance. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Malachi, chapter 2, verse 11, for our continuing study. We look at a situation here where they're marrying pagan wives. What should have been a holy institution, they're bringing pagan wives into the mix. And again, this is something that that, that, uh, had been dealt with earlier If you remember, not too long before this, maybe about 50 years before, maybe less, Ezra had come in and he found that the people and the priests had been marrying the pagan women all in that area. And and Ezra just, again, man, he, he lamented before the Lord. He called the people to repent. And now, probably not even 50 years later, Malachi comes and this same situation is going on. It seemed that maybe during the time of Ezra, they might have repented from those acts. And it seemed as though things were going to be turned around. But apparently by the time that Malachi comes on the scene, that they're back to their same tricks again. Either additional marriage relationships had occurred since the time of Ezra or people had made uh, or they had maintained what they already had and they they never repented from it. And it seems to be, again, an added evil to this thing is where Malachi describes that he who does it being awake and aware. There in verse 12 when he speaks being awake and aware. Apparently... Malachi is bringing out the fact that they had already been warned. As a matter of fact, again, they had been warned multiple times when the children of Israel left Egypt and came into the promised land. Do you remember what God told them back in the book of Numbers, back in the book of Deuteronomy? When you go into the land, what are you supposed to do? Separate yourself from those people. Don't give your sons to their daughters. Don't give your daughters to their wives. Why? Because God knew how profane the people were, the worship, the religion that they had been under for generation after generation after generation that had been driven into these people's lives. And he says, I don't want that mixing with my people. Beloved, this is this has absolutely nothing to do with, with race at all. It has everything to do with relationship with God. That's what it's about. 
because in that culture were it was just filled with people that were involved in every kind of profane pagan worship you can imagine and so they continued doing it they knew it was wrong and yet they did it anyway how many times have i told you kids and yet they continued to do it But marrying pagan wives wasn't the only issue that Malachi goes into. Look at verse 13. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Interesting, they continue going up to the altar. It's like, well, everything's okay. I can live any way that I want to out in the world. But come the day of worship, then I'm going to come in and I'm going to bring my offering to the altar. And there appears to be a whole lot of of, of emotion involved in their worship. You're covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. There's a lot of emotion. And guys, I want to tell you, emotion is great. I love emotion. I I love the fact that, yes, we can cry before the Lord. We can enjoy the Lord. We can be touched deeply in the heart by the things of the Lord in our worship time, in in our private worship time, in our corporate worship time. We can be moved. But you know what? It's absolutely empty if it's just in here, if it's just a portion of your life, if it's not filtered throughout all of your life. And apparently... That's what's going on here. That they continue to do the, the, the wrong thing, even though they know the right thing to do. And then they go and worship with tears and weeping and crying. And God says, I'm not going to receive your offering. And then in verse 14, they say, Oh, why not? For what reason? All of this, their lives, show, again, the shallowness of their lives in, in, in again, the, the, the spiritual sense of it. The shallowness of it, filled with, with self-gratification, not with godliness. They were consumed by the ideas of their own pleasure, their own desires, rather than allowing the God of all creation to consume them for His glory. Beloved, how often do we hear the words that come from the Apostle Paul in chapter 6 of Galatians? Uh, God isn't mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. And see, that's what's going on in their lives. They're, they're, they're again, sowing to the cares and concerns of the pagan community around them. And it's impacting their relationship now with God in a real and true way. Yet mankind continues on to stretch the limit of God's patient endurance, to stretch the limit of God's long-suffering. They come to the altar with, with tears, but at the same time, they either weren't committed to the vows of their marriage relationship, or they were married to these pagan women. And God says, you know, this is not good. I'm not going to receive it. As I said, verse 14 says, you say, for for what reason? God brings it out. He says, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. 
yet she is your companion and your wife by mutual agreement. Is that what it says? Uh, thank you very much. Okay. I just want to make sure you're awake. Okay. It's not by mutual agreement. It's not by, well, I'm kind of tired of this thing. It's not fulfilling my needs anymore. I want something different in my life. Guys, that's the difference between covenant relationship and just simply contract. A contract that says, well, either one of us, we got, you know, uh, with 30 day notice, we can get out of it. Okay. No, that's not what marriage was ever intended to be. And yet now in our culture, we have this profane thing that says a no-fault divorce contract. And you can go to any uh, uh, office supply store and, and pick up a copy of that. Now, I'm telling you that not so you know where to get it, but I'm just telling you that's that's the way it is, okay? That's the way we are in our culture. And yet that's not how God ever intended for our marriage relationships to be. Many of us stood before God, before family, and before friends, said those words, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, until I have to kill him. No, no, until death do us part, okay? Again, that's the kind of commitment. And we could say tonight, yeah, but pastor, life happens. Life happens. I know life happens. It's a sad reality of the culture that we live in. Is God pleased with it? No. As a matter of fact, we, we look at this whole situation, and for them, for the Jew of that time, the, the, their, their whole understanding of marriage had been so, so watered down. As a matter of fact, Adam Clark, a, a commentator, says, they kept their wives till they had passed their youth. Then they put them away that they might get younger ones in their places. Josephus, again, a Jewish historian, in his life, he tells us about with the utmost coolness and indifference, he writes about himself. He says, about this time, I put away my wife, who had bore me three children, not being pleased with her manners. Born three children. He says, but I got to where I didn't really like her anymore. So I put her away. Rabbi Akiba bin Joseph, who is late first century, early second century, said, and again, this is the Jewish mindset. If a man saw a woman handsomer than his own wife, he might put away his wife. Because after all, it is said in the law, if she has, if she find not favor in his eyes. Now he's misquoting, really, from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, which actually says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. And then he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, he can send her out of the house. Now, the whole difference here is that reasoning, this uncleanness. And again, 
Where is that then given to us? Moses gives us a clarity to that. Jesus clarifies it even more when he deals with the area of adultery, when that happens. But again, during the time of Jesus, there were actually two schools of thought in the Jewish culture. It was allowed, divorce was allowed uh, in, in the school of Shammai, that again, uh, able to put away his wife, uh, 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 I'm sorry, I missed my point. It was allowed by the school of Shammai that no man was to put away his wife unless for adultery. However, the school of Hillel gave up a much broader license. In other words, Hillel is the one that says, if she burnt your toast and you're tired of getting burnt toast every morning, you just write her a certificate of divorce, send her on her way. Sorry, ladies, that is the culture. You know, I'm, I'm saying all this, I'm looking at the women saying, oh yeah, that's really great for me. And the guys are kind of thinking sideways. No, uh, that, that's the way the culture was there. Ladies, you had absolutely no rights in that culture. It's when Jesus came that again, Christianity took a hold, that really the rights of the women began to grow at that point in time. But during the time, even the time of Jesus, these two schools of thought, one of the Jews that says, well, only if she commits adultery, the other school of thought, no, whatever the reason, you can let her go. And that was the battlefield that Jesus stepped into in Matthew chapter 19. Keep your place in Malachi. We'll be back here. Here, Jesus comes in, and Jesus, rather than speaking the law, he actually speaks the heart of God in this whole matter. In Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew 19, and we're going to begin in uh, verse uh, 3. The Pharisees also came to him. Now, let's stop right here real quick. The Pharisees. What does that mean? What does that speak to you? It speaks to the law. It also speaks ritualism. They have it all down on the outside, but on the inside, they're what? Dead men's bones. Okay, rotting. So it says that the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful that for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Do you see where that's going? They're, they're pushing again this, this opportunity to test Jesus on this. But Jesus is always far ahead of him. In verse four, he says, and he, Jesus, answered and said to them, haven't you read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, that right there speaks again of what God's design is in marriage. Male and female. And our culture is so hard pushing to change that. And yet God from the very beginning designed it male and female in this institution of marriage. In verse 5 he says, And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. I want to pause right here before we move on in that. 
again, this speaks so much, again, of that covenantal relationship of a husband and wife together. It is a commitment that moves beyond ease. It moves beyond comfort. It moves beyond our own desires. It is a commitment before God that I am committed to my spouse. Because I love her? No. Because I've made that commitment. Because I've made that commitment before God. What happens if I fall out of love? Then pray God for love again for that spouse that God has given you. And if you start treating them with love, treating them with respect, you might be amazed at the love that God can give you back for that individual. Oh, but pastor, what about this situation? What about that situation? What about abusive situations? What about these kinds of things? Listen, I know that we can come up with a whole lot of excuses, and I know that we can come up with a whole lot of reasons and things that we look at today and we say, man, that's, that's very valid reasons. I want to bring you back to what the Word says here. He says, therefore, what God has joined together... Let not man separate. They said to him, Then why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Number one, Moses didn't give a command. He says, In that case of adultery, you can put them away, and then you are free to remarry. He said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Paul tells us in the New Testament, he also speaks of the area of abandonment. And we can speak about the idea of emotional, mental abandonment that comes in the way of physical abuse, all of these things. Guys, I'm not going to spread a, a wide brush on this. What I am going to tell you is right now today, people divorce for a whole lot less than God ever intended for them to divorce. Are there situations that wives need to get out of because of, again, their own safety or the safety of the children? Absolutely. I agree with that wholeheartedly. But I've seen also situations just like that where divorce wasn't brought into the picture, but separation was. And, again, uh, the, the counsel, the continual working with uh, can bring those things around. Our culture is just so easy. So easy. And I know that some of you have struggled greatly in this, and I understand that. And I understand, again, the battle that's there for so many. But what my heart is for you is that your heart is right before God in this matter. In the matter of your relationship right now where God has you. Where is your heart in this matter? It's not an issue. Well, I stay married, I'm staying married. I don't love him, I don't love her, I'm not going to put up with anything, but we're still married because that's what God wants us to do. Well, you know what? You're sinning in your heart because of the attitude. 
So again, where's the attitude of the heart? Where's the attitude of the heart? Verse 10, still in Matthew, his disciples said to him, Hey, if that's the case, for a man with a wife, man, it'd be better not to marry. <laughs> it's interesting, Jesus' answer on this. Jesus said to him, verse 11, Not everybody can accept that saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. In other words, some are going to be able to live single. Some are born to live single all of their lives, and that's okay. Live single unto the Lord. Others, because of situations... They're born, they they remain single. Let me bring it back to this. God has a purpose. God has a plan in everything that he commands. Why is marriage so important of all relationships that we have? Why is marriage so important to God? Let me give you a couple of reasons. Number one, it was the very first thing that he formed. God formed this himself when he said man and woman come together. As he brought Adam and Eve together. And then he spoke about the fact, man, for that reason, you know, you're going to leave your father and mother. Woman, for that reason, you're going to leave your home. You're going to become one flesh. So number one, it is an institution that has been blessed and designed by God. Secondly, it's an institution above every other relationship that we have in the world that's that that is symbolic of our relationship with God our relationship with God over and over Old Testament as well as new God speaks of Israel as his bride in the New Testament the church is his bride over and over we speak of that kind of a uh, relationship and you know, one of the reasons, and you may not all agree with me, and this is not a, uh, uh, you know, a big issue maybe for you, it is for me, but one of the reasons why I believe that once someone is saved, that God will hold on to them to the very end, is because divorce is only valid in our human nature. Why? Because we have a hard heart. God's heart is not hard. That's why I look at the Old Testament book of Hosea, and he's telling Hosea, go back and get Gomer. Okay, you got her. Okay, go back and get her again. Okay, well, go back and get her again. Buy her off the auction block. Do whatever you need. Again, God going back and back and back. I look at God's relationship with the nation of Israel. Over and over and over, they committed adultery against God. And yet at that, in that, God continued to go after them. God continued to draw them to himself. That's why I look and I say, you know what? What God has begun in us, he will complete it until that day. Again, the promise of God in our lives, we can hold to that. Let's get back to Malachi. Malachi explaining to them in the midst of God's grand scheme, God's grand plan, Israel's portion of this. 
in this marriage relationship, why it's so important. In verse 15, he says, But did he not make them one, again, that husband and wife? Did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Why did he do this? Why? Because God seeks godly offspring. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue sharing with us from the Minor Prophets next time. What we'll learn is that even though many of these books are quite short, they are full of important prophetic insights. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to The Open Word Facebook page. You can also subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. The Open Word Podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study as Pastor David shares insights from the Minor Prophets. That's next time on The Open Word.